this is Joe and TJ with another episode of our One Thing series. Our desire is that our One Thing series truly helps you to lead better and grow faster. Every month on our podcast, we feature a great guest always on the topic of leadership and we blast it out to you from the schoolhouse302.com. Thank you, TJ. Please share this with other leaders you know that are looking and craving to get better. Thank you. everyone. Here we are with our guest, Amanda Holdsworth. Amanda, thanks for being on the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. We are thrilled that Amanda is with us because this month we are totally focused on how schools can build their brand and tell their story. And Amanda is an expert and we are more than fortunate to have her. TJ, why don't you tell our audience a bit more about Amanda? Sure thing. Thanks, Joe. Dr. Amanda Holdsworth, APR, is the founder of Holdsworth Communication, a PR and enrollment marketing agency in the education sector, the School Comms Lab, a membership community for school communicators, and Comms Mom, a global community for moms working in communications. A former collegiate tennis and soccer player, Amanda earned her BSBA in communications management and honors international studies from Robert Morris University and both a master's of arts in strategic public relations and a doctorate in education and organizational change and leadership from University of Southern California. Amanda's work has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, CNN Money, Fast Company, Forbes Inc., and Parent Magazine, but her pride and joy is her family, husband Doug, a successful entrepreneur, and two daughters, Avery and Shelby. Okay, Amanda, we're super excited to dive into this conversation with you about branding and why this is so vital for schools, we think, now more than ever. Let's first start with this. Can you tell us more about your work in this area and why school branding is so important these days? Sure. Well, uh, thanks again for having me. And this is a a conversation that's really near and dear to my heart. So I finished my master's in PR 20 years ago. So I've been working in PR for a very long time. And one of the the things that I found throughout the years, um, I started actually in higher ed, then I went into private schools, then back into higher ed, then into public schools and back into higher ed, and then now consult with all of those. So I've been around the block and I think um, being able to start in higher ed you really understand um, how branding is important and it's beyond a logo, right? And and I actually started in LA, which is a very competitive area. And then I moved to Boston in higher ed, which if anybody is familiar with the higher ed Boston landscape, you throw a stone and you hit another top college or university. So I actually got to cut my teeth on in advertising about 19 years ago in Boston in, in education, advertising and marketing. And one of the things that we found a way to cut through the noise with so many different colleges and universities was really telling the story about, you know, at uh, the, the time I was at a university, a small private university, and like why our university was different, what the success stories were, you know, stories about our faculty, stories about our students. And I got to utilize my PR skills in ways that I didn't get to use them in a service area or in a product kind of pushing or product facing business. So, for example, you know, be able to get the university's name in the Boston Globe, which when uh, the Red Sox went on the World Series run back in, I think it was 04 when they reversed the curse. And it was just something as simple as being able to utilize one of our faculty as a foot and ankle expert. And if anybody remembers Kurt Schilling's bloody sock, 
um, we were able to get our story in there and, and it started to to talk, you know, people started to talk like, what is this very small little graduate school? You know, what are they doing over there? And then we started telling more stories about um, students who, you know, one student's family was running an adaptive ski school at the time. This was almost 20 years ago. So we had a lot of veterans who were coming back that needed this and, and getting the name out slowly but surely in, in different ways. And I found that to be such a powerful component of the whole school communications mix. It's something I've carried with me throughout my career. Amanda, I've been so deep in thought listening to what you're saying. I, I want the audience, if you would, to understand like a little bit of what you just identified as a few possible avenues to start telling your story. So I quickly gathered, you know, the university stories about faculty, university stories about students. But then I also heard you say, and this is where I think it's profound, and if you could really expand on this, you tied things that were going on in the community and being Phillies fans, we're all too familiar with Kurt Schilling. <laughs> so I, you know what? That's another podcast, and I, and I will leave my, my emotions out of this one and my feelings towards Schilling and that whole thing. But you tied his foot and ankle and what was going on in that small university to something that was huge in Boston. Then you mentioned about the adaptive ski school and the veterans. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Cause I'm not sure everybody would understand, you know, the connections cause you would think it's intuitive to tie something you're doing with something that's going on locally or nationally. But I think maybe, you know, not everybody would understand how to go about doing that. So can you just go down that road a little bit? Absolutely. Thanks for asking. That's such a great question, Joe, because, you know, PR, I think people mistake it, right? You know, we, we know school PR, we know educoms, and a lot of people, a lot of schools think it's, let's put out a press release, let's put out a press release, call the paper, call the station, we're, we're doing this, we're doing this, we're doing this. And a lot of times, even with, you know, our clients, our agency, it's, what are we giving in it in return? You know, and I think Joe, one of the things that as a researcher, I'm pulling your common thread there is, is what we were doing to tie in with the community, that it wasn't all about us. And as somebody who's been doing this since the late 90s, I'm sad to say, happy to say, I'm not sure, sure how I feel about that. But, you know, with the greatest successes I've ever had in getting a school or university's name out there has always been something that's a story that would interest people that has some kind of good feeling towards something they're doing in the community, whether it's some sort of partnership with, um, you know, a local organization, or it's something that the students are doing for the community, or it's a community member coming into the school and volunteering their time to do something. Those are the stories that really tie people together because face it, you know, before I had kids, I wasn't really interested in what was happening in my local school, right? And so when we hear this a lot from school districts who have maybe an older population, who are going for bonds or, you know, whatever they might, they might need the support of the community. What is it that people should be hearing about your school that's going to interest them to go, you know what, the school really is a pillar of our community or of our neighborhood. And how is it that we can um, get their interest and keep their interest and not doing it in a self-serving way? Because I think that's, you know, us, uh, us as PR practitioners will sometimes get bad reputations, right? So you might see TV and you might, you might see a PR rep having these big glitzy events and meeting all those celebrities. And 
that's all fine. I've met a lot of celebrities in my career and they, you know, who have had the good hearts to do things for schools and universities. That's, that's all fine and dandy, right? But in reality, our, our whole goal is to manage the brand of, this, of the school or university or the district that we're working with. And part of that is telling our story in a proactive way. Part of it is sharing our goals and our vision and a huge part of this, and I learned this from my early years working in private schools and university, is showing the impact and the successes. And it does not have to mean success in terms of we have 100% of our graduates get into Ivy League schools or, you know, we had we raised a million dollars in our last fundraising campaign. Those are all wonderful. And if that's part of your brand or, your, you know, your mission or your vision for your school, and those are the types of audience, uh, people in your audience, we call them ideal customer avatar, ICAs. If those are the types of families you want to attract, great, then that's your message. But in reality, when we're talking about public schools and in public school districts and, and smaller schools, we really want to be able to bring the community in and have an interest in what we're doing and hearing what they're also interested. Um, I think that's something that we've struggled with a little bit throughout the pandemic in the last two and a half years when we don't have when we haven't had like the plays to bring community in or the art shows, or now we're seeing, unfortunately with school safety, a lot of schools aren't allowing people to come in that aren't in the school community. So how can we still connect those dots and make people feel like they're, they're part of what we're doing together? That's great. You know, I feel like asking a question about the ideal customer avatar and the way mm -hmm. that we can use them to help sell the story. But before we go there, if we go there, I wrote this down. Too many PR agencies, schools, and districts still think that public relations are about sending out press releases. I think that's important. The follow-up to that before we get to the avatar part is how do people do that? Our listeners are going to want to know, well, if I'm not sending a press release and we're not using a PR firm and we're not going to the newspaper with some big thing, how do we get these little stories and these little snippets out so that we're constantly, you know, branding and marketing, mm -hmm. but drawing people's interests in? I, th I think our school leaders are going to want to know the how about that, um, that comes with the what. Yeah, TJ, that's a, you know, that's a really great point because PR, it's a lot of work. It takes a lot of work, you know, to do it. I mean, it's, it's going to be literally a full-time job, but I go back to something I learned and actually one of my dearest friends, um, I started to work with her at a private school about you know, 16 or 17 years ago. And she was a former journalist and she said, okay, we've got to call so-and-so the local paper. We need to go have lunch with them. And I said, oh my gosh, I'm a PR person. That's unethical. We can't do that. It's paying him. And she said, you know, I'm a former journalist. We, we don't really have many people that care. They're always telling us like, Hey, send, you know, can you run our, our news? Can you do this for me? Can you do this for me? And they don't care that we've got 18 stories to write in the week. So I said, she said, let's just call them up. Let's go for breakfast or coffee with them. And again, this was a long time ago. Things have changed a little bit. And we did. And we developed a great relationship. And it wasn't because we were buying a relationship. As my, as my PR ethical hat comes on, it was more so that every time he called, whether that was 10 o'clock on a Friday night, and this was back when everybody had landlines, he'd call me on my home phone to tell me about a fax that came through and said, I need, I just FYI, I need your, I need you guys to get back to the statement by Monday, but I want to give you the heads up. He knew that every time I, that he would call, I would pick up. And I knew that every time he called, it wasn't going to be, Hey, what kind of wonderful news do you have for me today? It could very well be, listen, I hear you're getting sued. 
or we just need you to know that there is an anonymous complaint. So it's really developing the relationship and respecting the boundaries that they have. It's not, you know, we can't be self, uh, you know, self-fulfilling and being selfish with our work and just saying, here, I know this is like the fifth news piece I've sent you this week, but can you please run something? Or, you know, you ran that article about us and that was really incorrect. Can you fix it? I mean, they're also under deadlines and timelines and, and I keep tabs on education journalists for, you know, all of our clients locally and regionally and then for ourselves nationally. There's a lot of movement. A lot of these people, some of the papers are about to go on strike. Some of them are starting to unionize. They're, they've got a lot on their plates right now. So if you can figure out how to support them um, and develop those relationships. I mean, I just got an email right now in my inbox uh, right before we started from uh, a massive major daily publication, national publication from a reporter looking for sources. And this reporter knows that, you know, it's not necessarily the scope of, of some of my clients, but she knows that I'm going to do whatever I can to find her some kind of source for the article. So I don't even have to pitch to this person anymore. It's coming to us. And so that's part of like developing the relationships. It's not always about you or your school. It's also, you know, Hey, I know you, I, I saw you ran that article. Um, I wish you would have had a chance to talk to me first. You know, did you, did you call somebody over here? I'm so sorry if it was me and I didn't get back to you or it was buried in my email. Please know, like, this is my, my personal cell. If you have a question, please call me first and I'll find, find the answer. Or in the case of, of, of districts where you have to go through the chain of command, which I'm actually working with a reporter for a non-district, like a client that's not, or, or it's not a client of mine, but it's a district trying to find this national reporter, somebody to speak to. And it's kind of, I gotta be honest, a little bit of a pain because we're on five days now of email chains going back and forth in the processes. I mean, I get it because I was an in-house district communicator, but it's it's building that relationship and showing that, listen, I'm willing to connect you. This has zero to do with me. I'm not getting paid to do this. I'm not pitching this district. This district has a robust communications team. I'm not trying to get work for them. I just know that they've got a really good story to tell and I just need you to be in touch with them. And so it's, it's, it's really a lot about the relationship building and also not criticizing because you know what? Nine times out of 10, if there's been an error in something, it can be very painful, especially if it's a really bad error. But sometimes I found out that maybe the reporter did call or maybe the reporter did email and it's buried in our 14,000 emails, or maybe they were on deadline or maybe their editor changed something and it wasn't completely their fault. So it's really just kind of understanding and listening to their needs as well. I think that's an excellent point, Amanda. In Delaware, where we're coming to you from, you know, we're pretty much, I think, at this point, our local and, and even our most uh, prominent newspapers and, and journalists, no longer do we support specific education journalists. They'll still write. Mm -hmm. So, you know, every day there, there's something written, but specifically those journalists that are education reporters, um, I don't, I think they don't exist right now. I mean, the last, and the reason I'm uncertain is because we're down to like one or two. Yeah. And so that relationship we've discovered now has to be even more critical because they don't necessarily exist and they're not going to come to a story if it's just self-aggrandizing and doesn't, you know, showcase more benefit or, or, or describe how it, it benefits the community as a whole. Yeah, that's that's really tough. I remember seeing the shift in really in education reporting, again, telling my age, but it was uh, 2009 here in Metro Detroit. When all of a sudden, when we had all of these dailies and even the Business News Weekly all had solely education beat reporters, 
when all of a sudden our business magazine that used to, our business newspaper that used to cover us a lot at the, at the private school and a lot of the things that we were doing, all of a sudden, I'm not kidding. So keep in mind, I'm in Detroit, the big three, the auto, auto industry of, of the world. All of a sudden now the education reporter was covering automotive education green, which green business was starting to become, you know, a big and energy efficiency and healthcare. And so we went from having uh, somebody that we worked very hard to build relationships with over the years, who is now covering three of the four biggest industries. And we have to be able to cut through that clutter. So how do you, how do you get that news? Right. And we see it now, you know, I've got a couple of clients that have um, daily newspapers where the education reporter left and it's been a month or two. And I'm like, Oh, the healthcare reporter is now filling. And so I, as a PR person, and this is what I'm hired to do, I can't even track like, okay, well, they've got this person filling in. But when I talked to that person, they said, Oh no, that was just for this week. And they're hoping to hire somebody soon. And it's been two months. So you're right. It's very difficult to stay on top of. I actually find it knock on wood and I hope I don't jinx myself, but easier to get national um, uh, media's attention than local right now, because at the national, they seem to be invested in um, a lot more of the coverage. And because they're looking for um, a diversity in their sources, they're not just going to go to one school district in one state. They're likely to go to three, four, five different school districts and most likely different states to get more of a perspective across the nation. So that's where I'm seeing the trend is going. And and that's pretty easy. They're pretty easy to keep track of. I think that's uh, critical. I want to go back, Amanda, just a little bit. Uh, TJ had asked, and and I, I don't want to lose this line of thinking because I think it's critical. A lot of our listeners, you know, probably don't, and we know this, don't have necessarily PIOs and other PR teams, smaller schools, uh, maybe even charter network schools. So they don't have a robust district office, let alone a media team. Mm -hmm. And you talked about the ideal customer avatar as well, which I think I've never heard that before. So right away, I'm thinking, oh, that's awesome. Um, can you talk about that, Amanda, a little bit? So from the lens of literally a, a school district, maybe a principal, APs, teachers, really excited to do what you're describing building this avatar, like who are we really trying to connect with and how do they do that with limited resources? What platforms are best? Now, how do they go down that road? Um, excellent questions. And, and we, I'm going to take a two-prong approach. So the traditional strategic public relations plan, it's still the exact same format I learned in grad school. You know, going back, I started grad school in 2000. And, you know, part of what we would do, and this is why I loved USC's program, I do have to give a shout out, was that we really nailed down who the audiences were. And for any type of PR communications campaign, I was taught, and I still use it to this day, that you can have multiple audiences. However, your key messages and the way to reach those audiences might vary, right? So for an example, let's think about a school district. A school district, you might have potential parents, potential families, uh, current families. In the time of talent attraction and retention, we've got staff and faculty, faculty staff, um, you know, teachers, however you're referring to them. You have potential employees. You have uh, taxpayers if you're a public school district, right? Uh, you have community members or business partners. You have alumni. That's one of the things that, that uh, universities and private schools do so well. Uh, and it's one of the areas that I think that we don't do so well in public education. 
So you have, uh, and you have, you know, you've got your government officials, right? They, they play a big part. And I never, I never understood about, and, and I know people don't like the term lobbying, but I never understood the part about government affairs really until I went to private higher ed and I was sent to DC to go, you know, meet and kind of pitch what we're doing in 30 seconds so that, you know, certain bills would get passed and, um, you know, advocating really for what we're doing. So when we look at that from that perspective, the, the, from the PR side of the communications, you know, who are we communicating to? Who is this newsletter going out to? What is that we want to know? Because really something as simple as that, particularly in districts or schools who don't have a communications person, you don't necessarily want to send all the information that you would send to a current family to a potential family, right? Sometimes we think more information is better and let's over overflow them. But in, in all honesty, they can find a lot on the website and social media. But if you're sending them an email, I think certain components are very important. And certain components that are important to high school parents are not as important to parents of preschoolers or pre-K or early elementary, right? So you have different ways. It doesn't have to be a lot of effort, but understanding that the way that we, we communicate and, and we talk to people needs to shift a little bit. We can't do the kind of one size catch all. And if it means that maybe the communication, and I'm just gonna kind of harp on the e-newsletter, for example, Maybe if that means instead of doing a weekly newsletter, you know, to to current families, and that means going into a monthly one, but that it's segmented. However, you decide works best for your audience, then you need to figure it out. Um, and I think as we transition this ideal customer avatar ICA, we hear this pretty hardcore in marketing, um, which I believe, particularly in the public school world, I'm starting to see a lot of these last couple of years in enrollment marketing. Because for the longest time, marketing was a dirty word in public education, right? We didn't want people to know that we were spending money to be salespeople, right? Too, but we had neighborhood schools and everybody in the neighborhood was just going to come to our school. There are no other options. This is what we're going to do. And unfortunately, we're all now a little bit late to the game because online virtual schools, charter schools, private schools, homeschool, micro schools. I mean, I belong to like a micro school network just to kind of keep my tabs on it. And there are thousands, thousands that people probably don't even know about. Um, we work with, we've got a, a private school, micro school that serves elite athletes that we work with in, in Florida. And it's very interesting. So they've been doing it for years, right? They've been marketing for years because for them, it was the, the easier way because people maybe didn't know they existed or they didn't drive by necessarily a building or it was tucked in somewhere else or whatever the case might be. So they've had to market. So when we look at ICA, it's really not a lot different than how I explained it in PR. Your ideal customer avatar and this, it's I will admit it's a lot easier to do in higher ed and private schools because you're basically looking at, you know, who, who are the buyer? What is a buyer persona? So some of us who study marketing or management might have heard that. You know, where do they live? How far away are they um, from our school? Uh, how, what is the age range of the parents? Approximately how many kids do they have? What are their interests? So we see this now and uh, we've got one um, client district that's in an extremely competitive um, urban environment where it's not just charter schools but also a lot of public school districts within the city that they're competing against that are all open enrollment. So what are the ones that are gonna be attracted to our school, you know, and, and do we have a niche? And if you have a niche, then obviously it makes it a lot easier. For example, if you're a STEM school or arts integrated school or outdoor school, you have a very specific niche. But if you're a public school, that's a neighborhood school, you still have strengths there, right? So maybe your, your area is the, you know, or the four blocks surrounding the school. And maybe you have community partners within those areas. 
And maybe there are churches in your areas, even if you're, you know, a, a non-parochial school, but there are still partnership opportunities there. Maybe there are, there's a university or there is a high school or something else that you can partner with. So thinking about who are these people that we need to attract to our school, but also who can help us in ways, uh, and again, I don't want to be sounding selfish, but who can also help support getting the word out with the brand ambassador type of thing. Yeah, I just took a ton of notes on that. The who can help us get our word out, I think is, is critical questioning. Um, who are we communicating to first, right? What are their mm -hmm. interests and who can help us? I think that's critical for anybody listening right now because mm -hmm. you can't do it alone. But if you can reach somebody who's going to like, comment, share with their community, whether that be online or in their cul-de-sac, that's really how we can get that word out there with the positive stories. I'm connecting that for our listeners to the small things, the stories, the unique contributions that people are making to the organization and who they are that might be of interest to the public that we're a people business. There are people who work here. It's not just bad things that happen. And we need to tell that story so that this school is a pillar. I, I'm, I'm really loving uh, that, Amanda. And I think our audience is going to take a ton from it. I want to shift just a little bit to our one thing series questions. It doesn't mean you have to just pick one thing, but we'd like to get granular for the audience. And I want to piggyback on what you've been talking about in terms of PR, public relations, um, and what people can study and how they can learn more about this. Who's one person or group who you follow for either knowledge or inspiration and where can our listeners find them? So this one will probably throw you for a little bit of a loop, but it's actually a higher ed enrollment marketing consultant. His name is Jeremy Tears and um, we connected a couple of years ago on Twitter. His, I'm gonna look down here my notes. Um, his, his Twitter handle is at coach tears, T-I-E-R-S. And Jeremy is, I mean, I've learned so much from him in, in his blog about the new style of how higher ed is recruiting students um, and talking to them. Because even how we did years ago in private schools and higher ed, things are changing so rapidly. And of course, you know, as public educators, you everybody has maybe their their, their fingers on the pulse of how students, particularly high school students, like to be communicated with how parents do. But the way that Jeremy breaks down um, enrollment into little tidbits about, and, and, I, and, I, and Jeremy is probably one of the nicest people I've ever met in the profession because he's very giving of his knowledge. So I encourage anybody, um, particularly in public schools, even if you're full, even if you're the great school that everybody wants to be at, you should always be learning about enrollment and marketing and it's not, it's not sleazy. It's not a dirty word. It's not sales. It's really sharing in the pride of your school. And Jeremy breaks it down quite a bit. And, and also about how to just be respectful of people's boundaries and times. And then the other component is the different ways that he uses to communicate, I think is really, is very interesting. It's a completely different take than what I've learned in, in K through 12 um, PR and marketing. That's fantastic. We'll definitely link. Uh, to Jeremy's work and can't wait to dig into that ourselves. You know, I think when you are able to look at someone else's work in a different 
you know, just in a different space, but it's still about, you know, students, it's still about learning. You do learn quite a bit. You're right on, Amanda, with that. Um, Amanda, what's one thing that people should try to do on a regular basis that would make a difference in their life? You know, for me, and I started this, I want to say it's right around the pandemic, maybe shortly before or shortly, shortly after the, the world shut down was practicing gratitude. Um, you know, education has been so beat up the last couple of years. Um, and I've never seen it like this, right? Going back into the 90s when, when I first started. And as somebody in communications, you know, it's, it's it's very interesting. My husband just opened a local business, for example, and he's he hasn't done retail like this in 20 years and said, gosh, this whole social media thing where people in your own community, like, don't they know that that we live here too? And I said, welcome. This is why school, you know, school communications is why I know more than 30 school communicators, sadly, personally, who have left the profession um, or left working in K through 12 education since 2020. And it is so stressful. It is so, it's so frustrating. It can be so demeaning at times, sadly. But I think with me, with being able to practice gratitude, and I started every day, I actually have my little um, my little planner. I used to have a big gratitude journal and then I kept forgetting to write it. But since I have my planner, I have a little, it's actually a little area in here for two. It's very simple, two, two gratitude things each day. And I keep that open and I look at it. So for example, we've had, um, gosh, now, what is this mid October? And I've already had 11 incidences or, you know, on the media news with different clients. And I just sit there I mean, by the end of September, I'm going, why, why are we still doing this? Like, why, you know, I can't believe I'm doing this Friday night. I should be with my family and we're, we're still doing this. But when I can practice my gratitude and reminding myself, and a lot of it is really reminding myself that I'm so lucky to be in a position where I can make an impact. And I, and I have a little post-it note here. It says, transform the people who will transform the world. And so for me, that's, I'm so grateful that I have the opportunity to tell these stories because even if it, it makes means I have to pitch a story 35 times or pitch report or hundred times when that one time gets through and the school community is so beaming with pride and it's something that they put on the front page of their website or they have it printed out and framed or they're sharing it all over their, their news piece. Um, I'm just, I have to go back and say, wow, I can't believe I'm so lucky to be able to do this for a living. That's a fantastic answer. And here's why. Not only did you tell us what, like the practice gratitude, um, you gave us your how with the, the planner. And I even wrote down a sentence then for leaders who are listening. I'm so lucky to be in a position too. It's so good for your brain to do that. Um, so I, we want people to practice that. I'm going to tell you this though, Amanda, Joe's going to geek out about that planner after this. He's going to call me and say, did you see her planner? I need a copy of that. I know. Yeah, it well, because well, Joe, this is like my ninth different planner in the last two years. So I think I found one that stuck. So I will definitely send it. Your way. He's definitely a planner nerd. That's for sure. Um, what's the one thing that you want to know or be able to do that you don't already, Amanda? Well, this one's a personal one because as, as I'm sure everybody can relate, whether you're a consultant or working in-house, it's been a lot of hours in education. Um, we work a lot. And um, so this one's personal. My older daughter, who just turned 11, is a very accomplished drummer. And my husband is a phenomenal guitarist. 
my little one who's seven has been playing bass. And I used to play bass in high school. Um, and I learned how to read music and all that stuff. And believe it or not, it's gone away. So really, um, something I want to do is to a learn how to relax a little bit, but B take that time and learn an instrument again, because I listen to my husband will go downstairs and he's had a really stressful day or a rough day and goes down for 15 minutes and jumps on the guitar and he comes back and he's, he's ready to go. He's like, Oh, that felt great. Let's go. And, or my daughter will go downstairs and she'll, you know, we've got preteen years now upon us. So she'll go downstairs and I, I kind of figure out something's going on if she spends an extra five minutes whacking the drums. So it, it, for me, I think it'd be a great stress reliever too. <laughs> yeah. What a way to build, you know, family ties dig into your, your daughter's interests as well, you know, and then you learn something also. I, that's awesome. So, Amanda, we're going to have to, we'll send you a, a calendar date, like in nine months, we'll have you back on the show with the caveat though, we might have to have you play something. So that way, that way, that hold me accountable. I was going to say that was my, my former position. Uh, now I'm currently a superintendent was the accountability officer. So I, not only do I geek out on planners, but I can quickly create a metric. I was going to say, hold on, hold on, Joe. Let me, let me mark that, (laughs) mark that date down. Start planning my practice sessions. (laughs) That's awesome. You know, Amanda, what's, um, one thing that leads to or continues to support your growth as a leader. And one of the tough things about this question is, you know, it's something others can replicate. And, you know, your A wasn't lost on us either when you said learn to relax a little bit. And, you know, it almost seems like there's uh, a conflict or a contradiction when we're trying to constantly grow as a leader, but you're also looking to relax. But TJ and I have found that the more you build your own capacity, that's where you do find ways and you can relax and even more meaningful ways to relax, like play the bass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's um, that's something that I've definitely been working on. And, you know, as an entrepreneur um, coming out of education, I thought I'd have a, a more relaxed schedule, which I've gotten really good at it particularly over the last nine, nine months, or maybe since the beginning of 2022, really, is um, I, when I, once I learned to stay in my own lane and not worry about what everybody else was doing, I think that really shifted my mindset. So, you know, when I was an in-house communicator, whether it was at a private school or university in particular, you're always, you're always on top of what your competitors are doing. Did you see that ad campaign they did? Do you know that that, you know, and when I work in private schools, all the admissions directors would call each other and it would be something as like, what's your student's teacher ratio? Because there was a really big sweet spot. It was about 14 to 15 students to one teacher. And if it was too low, that meant that your enrollment wasn't great. If it was too high, that meant that you were going to be like parents were not going to be coming to you because it wasn't that great. And so it's, I've always been taught, like, you've got to know this competitor, this market research, which I'm really good at doing in my job. But for me personally, and for running a small agency, once I stopped worrying about what everybody else was doing and understanding our sweet spot, and there are certain things I refer out all the time, people will come to us or former clients, and they'll say, you know, we don't do digital marketing or social media or anything like that. So I'm more than happy to refer, refer out because it kind of goes back to, I'm very good at specific things. Give me a great, you know, marketing research project and, you know, strategic communications plan, enrollment marketing plan, PR some branding, but there are other components of communications, which is actually a very broad industry that I recognize. I'm like, you know what? I don't like doing that. (laughs) And 
we don't need to be doing that. Or as a school or district, and this is very helpful for the people who are listening or in-house, you don't need to be doing everything just because your, you know, their district next door is in their open enrollment. You don't need to be doing, you know, TV campaign because that other district did it and they had great success. You don't need to be doing a direct mail campaign because everybody in your district got a postcard in the mail from the charter school. What you need to be doing is focusing on what you do best and how you can communicate that. And I think once I learned that as an entrepreneur and somebody that works in communications, I think it actually almost helped the practice a little bit because I do have those, those great pockets of time. I don't have stress with trying to keep up with the Joneses, whether it's for our own agency or it's for our clients. We have figured out those sweet spots. Amanda, one final question here for you. Um, and I, I, I just can't help but say that that last part is really important for schools and districts. The stay in your lane part, focus on what we do best and learn how to communicate that. Um, not to be everything to everybody. I'm, I'm hopeful that our listeners really take something away from that because we all are unique and let's stick with the things that we're, mm-hmm. we're, we do um, for our communities that, that many others might not. What's one thing that you used to think that you don't think anymore? Uh, For me, really, it was that I wasn't cut out to be an entrepreneur. I have fierce loyalty to, you know, schools and and universities that I've worked at. I liked, you know, moving the needle there, but I was very afraid that once I went off on my own, that uh, I'd have to do sales, which I know I've kind of talked about a little bit here with marketing and you would think, well, what's wrong with a communicator who does sales, right? That's kind of what you do. But, um, and so for me, it was a, a very hard step, but very easy step because once I realized that, and again, almost going back to my last response, when you are talking to people who you really want to help and who you know you can help and whether, and I'm going to put my school hat on, if you know that you're a school and you have the services and courses and classes that you know you could provide for this this family that's coming in or looking at a new house in your neighborhood or looking to switch districts or schools, it's really easy to speak to them. It's actually really exciting. It's not sales, right? You're sharing how you can help them and make an impact on their life. And I think it's the same thing, at least for me in entrepreneurship. We don't take every possible client. Like I said, we refer out. But the ones that we do work with, it's so, I'm so excited. It's not even sales. It's like already the wheel starts spinning, but what can we do for you? And how can we make this impact? And how can we make you the best that you're going to be? And this is going to be a challenge, but it's going to be such a fun challenge. And I promise you, we're going to do the best that we can. I think for me that it's for the last couple of years, at least it hasn't been anything at all about sales because it's, we are who we are as an agency. I am who as I, I am as a professional. I've been around the block with every type of school, all the way from pre-K through graduate school. If we don't like, you don't like our style, or our process, no hard feelings, right? There's going to be something else out there. So I think when we look at both entrepreneurship and then also enrollment marketing from the perspective of a school, you don't have to think about it as you're selling yourself, because if you're telling your story and people understand and you're honest and open with them, they're naturally just going to be attracted to, to what you have to offer. That's awesome. And it reminds me of uh, Tony Robbins quote of the secret to living is giving and just caring about people is enough to make the business grow. And I love that you refer out when it's not your expertise, because 
Um, that's an abundance mentality. And it, it's, it's everybody, there's tons of schools and tons of school districts to work with. There's plenty of work for all of us. And um, Joe and I try to subscribe to not having a scarcity mentality that way. Amanda, Absolutely. this has been fun and um, enlightening and a great episode for our, for our followers who are going to take a ton away from it. Is there anything else as we wrap up that you would like to add for, uh, for our, our folks on the other end? Sure. I think I just, if, if anybody wants to add a little something to their plate this year, we have found such phenomenal success and we're doing this right now for a lot of clients of telling the stories of the teacher and teachers and staff in your school. So my father-in-law, who I'm very proud of, was a retired uh, janitor for a K through 12 school. And guess who knew everybody in town? He did. And so when, when they know that he's connected with the school, when new families come to town, they obviously were interested in the school. So it's the people who are not only teaching the children, because as parents, we want to know who are these people? You know, we don't have to get in their specifics about their personal life or where they live, but we want to know more about them. And you want to know more about the people who are running the school. Who's the school nurse? Who's the bus driver? My kids had a phenomenal bus driver for so many years who was the same bus driver for 25 years, Mr. Dan, who looked like Santa Claus. And so I think it's when we, we take a look, again, it's not always pushing how the school has a rigorous curriculum or you know, wide variety of after school activities or all these words we hear over and over and over and over again in marketing. It's really the people that make the difference. And, uh, you know, brand ambassadors, who are those parents and, and alumni who have supported your school, those community members, and how can you tell their stories in, in different ways through the newsletter, website, social media. So it doesn't have to take much work. And trust me, when people are recognized like that, they appreciate it. And things like employee retention um, go up. So just, to, that, I just had to add that in there. That's awesome. That's a great way to end. It's a people business. Let's tell their stories. It's a great way to start branding and marketing, telling the story about the people who work here uh, to the community who, who will then care more about the fact that we're a people business and we're mm -hmm. people too, um, even though we're the local school or district. Thank you, Amanda. There you have it, everybody. Another great podcast. Don't forget to follow our blog at theschoolhouse302.com for blog posts, podcasts, video blogs, books to read, and more, always on the topic of leadership. We hope you enjoyed this one thing series on how and why school leaders can use branding and marketing techniques to improve their image and so much more with Amanda Holdsworth. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you so much, TJ and Joe. I appreciate it. Hey leaders, before you go, one more announcement. We now have available for you our candid and compassionate feedback masterclass. Really because of high demand, we are thrilled to offer this. This is a course that we run live and in person all the time and leaders love it. They learn to give feedback with skills that they can use right away, including better praise to lift and celebrate your team. It's now available in a virtual online format that you can take on your own, self-paced from the comfort 
of your office or home. Here's what you'll get. There are 11 lessons with a focus on nine candor cancellations that we wrote in our Candid and Compassionate Feedback book. These are mistakes that leaders make that we don't want you to make anymore. We'll teach you models so that your feedback is meaningful and we'll give you tools necessary to build the culture that you always wanted. Trust us, without these critical skills, you're not capitalizing on your own capacity to lead better and grow faster. Go to the site, theschoolhouse302.com, click on shop courses, add this course to your cart and start learning today.